HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit mofad.org. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Magnifico Radio, bringing you the latest in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and this is episode two, and it's Climate Week. And I'm thrilled to have journalist and author Elizabeth Klein here to discuss fashion and its effect on the planet. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. I'm excited, too. So your book, Overdressed, the Shockingly High Cost of Cheap Fashion, started with an inventory of your closet, and it listed 61 tops... 60 t-shirts, 15 sweaters and hoodies, 21 skirts, and 20 pairs of shoes. Seven pairs of $7 shoes from Kmart. Cute, cheap, and entirely short-lived, hence the seven pairs. So let's start with that. What's wrong with cheap fashion? <laughs> well, um, that's, that's really uh, that's a kind of, you know, I wrote an entire book about that. But I would say that, like, for me... What I discovered through the process of writing Overdressed was that, you know, cheap fashion, in addition to, I guess, being a good deal, it has dramatically changed the way that we consume. So Americans have uh, gotten to a place where we're buying five times as much clothing as we did in the 1980s. So we don't really use low price as a way to save money. We use it as an excuse to buy more. Um, so what we've seen is this really dramatic shift from buying for quality and investing in you know clothes on a sort of seasonal basis toward viewing clothes really as a disposable good. Um, and once that happened, there were all sorts of, I think, unintended environmental and social impacts that we began to see in the fashion industry uh, to the point where now fashion is the second most polluting industry in the world uh, behind food. And it's also one of the largest consumers and 
polluters of fresh water. And I think that those impacts are really, really tied to this idea of, you know, prizing quantity over quality or, you know, sort of cheap, impulsive, disposable consumption over lasting, uh, you know, more thoughtful purchasing decisions. It's true. And I, I think you can see that too when you're at a party or somewhere and somebody is telling you the price of something. Like if you compliment, oh, that's a really nice shirt. And somebody tells you, oh yeah, it was only blah, blah, blah price, right? Like, so we start to kind of, we focused on that. I loved, the book really resonated with me because I, the last time I had a real job, I worked at an advertising agency and on my way home, I used to have to go through a mall because my subway stop was located in a mall. And this was 2006 and I documented how many items of clothing I bought and it was it was mostly to try and keep track of this consumptive nature like I was just walking through the mall and picking up things to the point where I as I started to make this inventory and you're the only person I, the only other person I know who's made an inventory of your closet I started to realize that I just had all these mindless purchases and all of these things that I hadn't really thought about before I put them in a bag or in a cart and and took them home so how have we shifted. So the book came out in 2012. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what have you seen since then? Like, are you, are you seeing some movement? Are people being more mindful about what they're buying? What do the numbers say in terms of consumption? I think that it, I've seen, um, I've seen both things happen, you know, things kind of had to get worse before they started to get better. And I'm speaking specifically about the uh, Rana Plaza factory collapse in Bangladesh in 2013. Um, And that factory was producing cheap clothes for, I think, about 29 Western fashion brands. And uh, over 1,100 people lost their lives in that collapse. Um, So it was this really horrifying tragedy that kind of sparked a very widespread conversation about what is happening in the fashion industry because these are, um, you know, conversations that we kind of thought we'd solved, honestly, almost a hundred years ago. Um, the fashion industry, you know, in the, in the eighties and nineties, well, I won't say that the nineties, but by the time the eighties rolled around, you know, some of these, these issues about labor abuses in fashion, um, factory conditions in the garment industry, I'm not going to say the industry was perfect, but they had improved a lot. Um, so what's happened that everything seems to be, all this progress seems to be rolling back. It's almost like, you know, history is running in reverse. Um, But I think that it's really important that those conversations are happening now and that there's an awareness happening now. Um, So we exported and globalized the fashion industry, but unfortunately we forgot to export and globalize our environmental standards and our labor standards. So we have people making clothes um, under conditions that we wouldn't accept or stand for in our own country, which is incredibly unethical and should be illegal. Um, In terms of the shift in conversation about mindfulness around fashion or like an 
you know, wider embracing of ethical fashion. We're starting to see that too. Um, just in the last year, well, I will say just in the last couple of months, like I saw that Anne Hathaway posted on her Instagram that she had gone on a year long clothing diet, you know, like she was sort of like making this commentary about fast fashion and how it just sort of seduces you. I mean, I'm making an assumption about why she did this, but that's why most people do clothing diets. No, I've seen that too. And I've seen like the man repeller have done, has done a few articles on sustainable fashion. I was like, Oh yay. And a couple of other like really kind of notable celebrities start to talk about fashion. Lena Dunham, I think has done something in her newsletter as well. So, so when celebrities start to make note of that, I think that then we're making some progress. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really interesting about the examples that you bring up is a lot of times when people discuss why they're embracing a slower form of fashion, which I don't even know if slow fashion is the correct word. It's almost just like normal fashion. It's returning back to this place of like rational kind of like, uh, you know, normal consumption patterns but they they when they talk about it they talk about how oh my gosh when i slow down i'm actually better dressed i'm happier i'm more satisfied with my wardrobe because if you really start to think about fast fashion it it kind of leads to a lot of clutter and chaos in your wardrobe which kind of like you know everybody thinks like oh it it's fashion, like the more you buy of it, the more fashionable you should be. But that's not, that's not really how it works. And it's not. And I think it was you who was talking about the closet sizes and how, if you have like a pre-war apartment, you have really small closets because women in that age only had about nine outfits. And if you have a post-war apartment, when we started to kind of make consumption, one of the things that we do, or one of the ways to kind of move the economy along, then you have a larger, you have larger closets and we are buying way, way more. But but I think I think you bring up a really good point because the more clothes you buy is kind of indicative of the more other things you buy. So you're having a lot of things in your house that's not necessarily giving you that feeling that you used to have maybe or that, you know, you would have if you if you found a treasured item or if you found something. Um, and so to that end, does it need to be new? Like what's your feeling on like what's your feeling about this just over? abundance of stuff like mm-hmm. we have clothes everywhere we have clothes here we're shipping it to africa like how do you feel about this abundance um it's sort of i mean in terms of how much clothing we're producing and wasting it's just grown to catastrophic proportions i don't think there's really any other way to describe that and i've seen that really with my own eyes in the last year or so as I've researched and started working on this documentary that's, you know, at least partially about clothing waste because we're sending 21, I think it's 21 billion pounds of textiles and clothing to the landfill in the United States every year. Um, And then another, I want to say it's somewhere between one to four billion pounds are exported overseas. And when you see that, when you just see what that looks like, it's so crazy because I I was in Nairobi in January um, filming in the secondhand clothing markets. And a lot of those markets, um, it's closed from the United States um, or other 
you know, richer developed countries in Europe and Australia. And this one, this one market in Nairobi that sells secondhand clothes employs 65,000 people. That's how big it is. That's how much unwanted crap is coming from places like the U.S. Did you say 65,000? Yeah. Um, in one market? In one market. It's, it's, you know, it spans acres. It's this, you know, it's a size, it is a city. It's a city. It's an economy unto itself. And, you know, uh, and at the same time, countries in, in East Africa are talking about banning all of this stuff because they can't grow, they can't develop their own cotton and textile industries because we're just dumping all of this unwanted clothing on them. And is that, do you think that's linked back? Is that part of the consumptive ideology or, or kind of the way that we make it seem okay is that, oh, well, this is going to end up in somebody else's wardrobe or, oh, this is going to be donated to charity and somebody in Africa needs my, needs (laughs) this when I'm done. Like, is that idea that it's going to go somewhere part of the problem? It is. And I I do think that, I I think I see people letting go of that idea more, um, you know, especially with like companies like H&M launching recycling campaigns and kind of confronting the fact that, oh yeah, like clothing is clothing waste has really moved beyond the world of charity just because there's so much of it. Um, there's so much more than, you know, is needed or, or that there's a demand for in the United States. Um, and I think that it's good that we are kind of accepting that fact and kind of moving on to like, okay, well, what is, what is the responsible way to, to deal with this? And of course, one of the most responsible things you can do is, you know, look back at your consumption and say, when you're in the store and you're about to buy something, do I really love this? Do I really need it? Do I have something else already like it? Because the reality is when you get rid of it, you know, they're, the options aren't necessarily like as virtuous as we might imagine. That's true. That's true. Um, and so my, so if, if we were to be more thoughtful, do you think that that would activate the change that the industry needs? Because you've mentioned three different issues. You mentioned like the work, the workers' solution or the workers' problems, and that's globally and domestically, or just globally. Workers' um, safety and and well-being. Uh, well, actually, in Los Angeles, um, in the last twenty years, we've seen the resurgence of sweatshop conditions. Um, And so, you know, we're not in the United States, we're not like impervious to labor issues. And I think that we've seen the rolling back of labor conditions in the United States, partially because of the pressures of cheap fashion. You know, when, when you're a retailer and you're having to make something and sell it for $20, um, that pressure is going to be placed all down the supply chain, whether that factory is in the United States or whether it's in China or whether it's in Bangladesh or wherever else. And that's not even changing. I just read today because I was doing a little bit of research before the show that the consumer price index has listed women's fashion as the price dropped again. So now it's dropped another half a percent. So we're so we have inflation. We have all of these inputs that are increasing in cost, including energy, cotton, everything else is going up in price. But the actual ticket sale price of garments is dropping. It's, it's shocking. Yeah, like I know I I um, when I was walking around, I was in L.A. recently, and I went to one of the um, like promenade 
outdoor malls. I can't remember which. It's the one that's in Santa Monica. And they were doing all their end-of-season sales. So I was walking past Forever 21 and H&M. And the prices were, even for me, someone who's studied cheap fashion for such a long time and bought it, um, you know, it's like items for four ninety nine and up or like fashion for nine ninety nine and up and they're you know they're luring people into the store with price which you know that's an entirely other conversation like how if your goal is to have a wardrobe that you love and to you know dress in clothes that you absolutely feel great about why would your first consideration be is this nine dollars and ninety nine cents? Like well- yeah. Well, not only that, but you also mentioned all the environmental impacts. Like, who's paying for everything above that nine ninety nine? Like, so who's paying for the water that produced it? Who's paying for the energy? And who's paid for transportation? Like, even when you look at all the numbers built into pricing, transportation and logistics is never in there. So who's actually paying for that? It's mind-blowing. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back in one more minute. And this is a song by former intern Malcolm. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Peter Kim, the executive director of MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network, and we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened MoFad Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing Flavor, Making It and Faking It. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. Flavor tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami, and the Willy Wonka-inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MoFad Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at mofad.org. And we're back. I'm sitting here with Elizabeth Klein, author and now filmmaker. I remember when I met you, we were in North Carolina, we were at a conference and your book had just come out and we were, I think we were in a, like a dive, a Mexican dive bar and we were chatting because your book had come out and then Greta was writing her book and I was like, oh, books for fashion. Like it just didn't even occur to me. I'd read so many books trying to move and shift the conversation around food, but it didn't occur to me that you could have these books that would really maybe talk about some of these issues in fashion. Um, so you also inspired me to write mine. So thank you very much. And now you're working on video. So tell me more about the documentary and tell me why you think now we need fashion films. Like what, what's the message? What's the message in the medium that, that you think we need to tackle to kind of get consumers on board with, with these issues? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think that the choice for me to do a documentary, first of all, like fashion being so visual, um, I, you know, I felt that that would be probably a more powerful way to tell the story. And I also wanted to move in a really different direction than overdress, which is basically, I'll be the first to admit this like very sobering, dense kind of compendium of 
statistics and information about what the fashion industry is doing wrong, but it doesn't really so much get into like the personal and cultural and social impacts of what fast fashion has done to us. And that's what I wanted to do with the documentary is get out there and talk to people consumers like you know just everyday shoppers as well as people in the fashion industry who are frustrated by um the way that the options that they have in the marketplace um whether it's frustration over fit or quality um as well as you know people who work in the higher end part of the fashion industry who are frustrated that companies like Zara come along and rip off their designer friends and make it very difficult for them to make a living as well as like what we're seeing in the luxury market, which is cost inflation in order to market those products to rich people. So you have this, we're in this situation where, um, the middle in fashion is completely dropped out and it's left consumers in a place where they feel like they don't have a lot of options. Um, And yeah, I just, with the documentary, I just really wanted to get more into the like personal kind of thing of like, okay, this industry is really screwed up, but we still have to get dressed and getting dressed and how we dress is such a huge, huge part of culture and such a beautiful and exciting part of culture. So how do we preserve the good parts of that while still protecting people in the environment? You know, and I and I think like we've seen how to do that with food. So there's a precedent, and the conversation or the the com- yeah the conversation I'm exploring in the film is what does that look like? What does that look like for clothes? It's so funny because I remember thinking about food and really comparing food. Like when I started the blog, which was 2008, 2009, I looked at food and I looked at how quickly the the organic slow food movement had taken to take hold. And it was really short. It was like they went from 1% to 10% in about five years, which is kind of a rapid absorption of, of a new ideology and in consumption products. And I thought, oh my gosh, fashion will have the same. Like we'll just be at 10% in no time because everybody wears clothes. This is not like we're talking to anybody in particular or any particular group or class. Like everybody gets dressed. So this is going to be a no brainer. And in the time since I started the blog, we're still at about 1% of the market really kind of gets this or thinks about it. So what's, what's, what's that hindrance? Like what, what are you, what are you finding kind of, or what's the way that you're going to tell the story to help people kind of wrap their head around this? Well, one thing that I'd be interested to hear you talk more about is like, I, I think with food, the reason why it's, um, the conversation has moved so quickly is because, it's so easy to argue that like if you eat processed food or food that you're not sure of the origins of or or food that's not made in a you know responsible manner it has a you know a, a very real impact on your body and your health as a person so um there's this like very deep uh personal ramification from our choices about how we eat and it's I think a little bit more difficult to make those arguments with fashion, but you've, you know, a lot of your book talks about toxicity in fashion and how that is this like, 
people just aren't talking about it yeah. that, you know, you can, you can walk into most major fashion brands and buy something that has toxic dyes in it. And then it's going on your skin. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's some, something more you'd like to say about that. Cause I think that it's, it's really something that a lot of people don't even know about. Well, it's funny too, because it like when I was reading about organic cotton, I had read a case study on the Patagonia side. So Patagonia made a decision to use organic cotton, um, based on an experience that they had had in Boston at their Newbury store. And this, you, anybody can read this on the Patagonia site. And so they had this brand new store that they had just opened and they had all the stock in the basement while they were getting the store set up and the clerk started to get sick and they started to get ill and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. Like was there, there was some off gassing something. So was it in the fixtures? Was it in the paint? And then um, they found out that it was actually from the cotton. So the cotton products in the basement were off-gassing into the um, the airway system, and the clerks on the main floor were getting ill. So this, all like these kind of stories. That this was are, from organic cotton. No, this oh. was what made Patagonia decide to oh, go God. with organic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, so this was this was their turning <laughs> I was point. Be like I quit. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're good with organic. But that was the turning point where all of a sudden they. they they realized, okay, this is like to breathe it, forget putting it on your skin to breathe it, Mm -hmm. to have our employees in the same room with it is a problem. So I think that, um, yes, there's a very real, um, reason why people should care what they're wearing because it's just like what you put inside you affects your health. What you put on your skin affects your health. But I I also think about it in the same way that I think about food. Like I think you said earlier about the water pollution, you know, two thirds of water in China is, is um, damaged because of fashion production. Same goes for Mexico. Like all of the systems that are kind of broken in the food system are kind of broken in the fashion system as well. So I just, so, but let's go back to your movie because I want to hear like, what are you documenting and what's, what are you, what, yeah, tell, tell me more about the movie. Does it have a name? It doesn't have a name. I should probably get around to that if anybody wants to tweet me some ideas please do so that would be at elizabeth l klein (laughs) thank you um a lot of it is interview based right now and then of course i have all my footage from africa and when i was in nairobi i the movie at that time was really uh, mostly about um waste so what happens when we buy too much stuff and then it ends up you know on the other side of the world and we end up using developing countries as sort of sort of like garbage can for our unwanted stuff. Um, and then I'm moving into filming, uh, more about the process of making clothes and how, how much, uh, you know, we, we don't really see anymore the process of design and the process of construction and the process of growing cotton and how beautiful that whole process is. And that's for me where I think, um, the connection between food and fashion is strongest. Like, yes, you could argue that we care more about food because if we eat too much of it, it can make us fat or it can make us sick. Um, Or if we eat the wrong kinds of food, it can make us sick. But with fashion, you know, I think it's pretty easy to argue that, you know, if you're more thoughtful about clothes and you know more about how they're constructed and you know more about the people who make them, um, you end up having 
owning more beautiful things that make you feel better. So if we're looking for a sort of like reason, self-interested reason to care about uh, what goes into fashion, I think that that's it. I think, and I think that that's really what I'm trying to do with the documentary. Um, And it's something that I am exploring a lot in my own life as well, because just through writing overdressed, you know, I, I didn't know when I finished, like, what would I do? Would I be the kind of consumer that ended up only buying organic cotton or, uh, only buying fair trade? It's like all the people that we know and kind of talk to in the ethical fashion world, everybody does something a little different, which is really, really cool. It's not this like hard and fast rule kind of world where, this is ethical and this isn't. And for me, what I've found to be the most powerful is, um, buying for quality. I buy a lot of secondhand, um, like all of the like better made sort of like designer stuff. I just find through resale apps. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, I think there's this like carefulness, in my approach to clothing that I didn't have before. Well, and there's also just the true reality that things that are made better cost more, right? Yeah. So, so I'm going to get, I'm going to have to pay more for a jacket made with, you know, natural fibers made in America, made by a designer that I know than I would if I went into a, fa- a fast fashion shop. Mm-hmm. It would also last me longer, but the fact that it would last me longer also leads me to vintage shops. So I offset the, the things that I buy with lower price vintage, which I, I think is what most people do. Like, I think people are offsetting the cost of that great thing or that, you know, that one cut, that one item that they covet with fast fashion. So for me, I've just kind of slipped yeah. thrifting and vintage in where fast fashion used to be. Yeah, totally. I, I read, um, thread up, which is, I, you know, I think one of the biggest, um, resale websites in the U S now, Um, and I, you know, love them and use them. They did a a survey recently that showed that, uh, first of all, that I think a majority of their shoppers, um, are shopping secondhand for the first time online. Like if you think about like 10 years ago, we, most people would say, Oh, Goodwill or Salvation Army. And now most people are doing it through the internet. First of all, that's incredible. And second of all, the, their consumers, reported that it was diverting their dollars shopping secondhand online was diverting their dollars away from off price stores. So from, you know, like going and buying like a $10 quote unquote designer shirt from TJ Maxx or from the, you know, factory outlet, something that you're going to buy. And then like in two weeks be like, uh, why did There's I a buy reason that? It was on sale. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm the same way. It's like, Um, if I'm shopping on a budget, it's, yeah, it's like replacing those fast fashion purchases with resale or, you know, like higher quality pieces and online thrifting, like, um, startups are getting mad money. I've seen so much investment, vestiaire, um, Depop, thread up, tradesy material world. Like they're just popping up all over the place and getting a lot of investment because we have this abundance because we have this consumption problem. Oh my gosh. Well, I told you the time was going to go quickly and it did. (laughs) So, um, what are some, if, if we could save the world, you and I right now with one wish, what would it be like around this topic? Like what, what can we tell people to do to kind of make a difference? Um, I mean, I, f- I feel like I've been saying this the whole conversation, but, uh, being more intentional and mindful about your purchases. So that doesn't mean like, uh, 
don't ever shop ever again, but, uh, slow down and think before you buy. Is this something I really, really love? Is this something I can imagine in my wardrobe for years to come? Because when you start to make those decisions, it opens you up to potentially considering paying a little bit more money for clothes, being a little bit more particular about fabrics. And all of those things are, I think, a boon for the environment. And I think they're a boon for garment workers because it's really that pressure um, toward shopping cheap and trendy that is really making garment workers suffer. And what about you? (laughs) It would be the same thing. I like it too. Buy less. Um, Yeah, buy less for sure. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, things that you fall in love with, things that you really like. I'm all about that as well. Where can people find out more about you and this this movie to come? Um, I'm active on... Uh, Twitter and Instagram, Elizabeth L. Klein for both. I do have a website as well, overdressthebook.com, although right now I think it just has my email address on it. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can also feel free to... When people have names for the movie to come. (laughs) Yeah. That's so great. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this day, on this rainy day. I just want to give a shout out to Roberta's, which is the home of Heritage Radio Network, where you can find us each Monday. We're at one o'clock. You can always listen to Magnifico Radio on iTunes or Stitcher. Please feel free to read our blog or sign up for our newsletter at Magnifico.com. And you can always find us on social. We're at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.